Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We don't normally do this, but I just wanted to say welcome to November. And while many of you won't love November the way I do, because, well, quite frankly, based on where you live in the world, according to stats, you don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is my favorite time of the year. It's my favorite holiday because I get to spend time with my loved ones and the people I care about the most. And even if you can't celebrate or even if you don't celebrate it, you can celebrate Movember. Movember stands for tackling prostate cancer, testicular cancer, men's mental health, and suicide prevention. Uh, and we all have a male in our lives or a man in our lives that we love and want to be around for even longer. So uh, do what you can to help raise awareness and support Movember. The Ugly Inside has done this for the past couple of years. Uh, you can actually help them support it by going to mobro.co slash the ugly inside. The link is in the show notes. Uh, and by the way, I am growing a mustache for Movember. Uh, I am going to ruin my family pictures. Uh, so hopefully you don't have to. All right. So head over to mobro.co slash the ugly inside and help support. All right. Uh, now let's get to the show. Before we get started with this week's show, just a quick announcement. Yellow Card has partnered with Away Days Football, which makes original and high-quality football-inspired clothing for the casual looking for something to wear to matches. Use the code YELLOWCARD at checkout to get 15% off your entire order at awaydaysfootball.com. And on a personal note, if you haven't tried the mystery kit yet, um, you should. You won't be disappointed. So uh, go to awaydaysfootball.com, use checkout code YELLOWCARD, and get 15% off your entire order. All right, thanks for listening. And now, here's the show. You're listening to the Southampton Delivery P -P -P Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. I know we, we know what we learn, and today we learn. Adacha, It's infield to Mare, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella. Onside, 1-0! Bufau shot! Oh, my word! It's unbelievable. He ran around the pitch like Bambi on ice. It would be very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, and now, now. Your, host, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans, and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markson. I am the host of the show, and no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope you enjoy it. And obviously, we're on an international break, so there is no specific Saints match of which to speak. Um, unless you count the behind closed doors friendly where I read conflicting reports of who scored the goals and everything else. Um, but I don't make the joke about, you know, us doing well against championship opposition during this week's episode, unless you count that one right there. Uh, it is November. Uh, this is the last international break of 2019 and we have a run of fixtures coming up that we should be able to take some points from, but that should is always kind of. Uh, there's a caveat there every time because uh, we haven't shown uh, the ability to do that. So there's plenty of things to discuss and look forward to and, and some hope there for us as we move forward. But uh, of course, it's going to be, um, it looks like a difficult campaign for Saints. But I don't want to start this on a, on a negative thing because we don't need to. Last weekend, obviously, was the international break. So no kind of no, no men's game to talk about unless you count the, the Euro qualifying and things like that. Congratulations to England. Um, but there was a women's football weekend and unfortunately, uh, the Southampton women's football club, not the one associated with the men's club, uh, but the one that has been around for a long time, uh, they fell in their match, but fortunately for them, they'll have another chance to uh, come back and, and, you know, 
uh, put right that wrong, I guess, because that's what you have to do uh, week in, week out. And maybe Saints uh, can learn something from that as well. But um, anyway, this week I had the opportunity to catch up with the Athletics' Carl Anker. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Anchorman616. Uh, and because there was no match, we talked a little bit. I had a couple of questions for him, and then we took a bunch of your questions. We spoke last Thursday, so this is uh, some of you guys sending questions over the weekend. Uh, I was off of Twitter for for the most part. So uh, if you send in questions on Friday or Saturday, um, they didn't make it on the show, but thank you anyway. Uh, we do appreciate that and always continue to to send those in because it's one of the things that makes the show uh, a lot of fun to do. But anyway, Carl and I tried to answer as many questions as we could, and uh, hopefully you enjoy the hour or so long chat that we have. So um, once again, you can find Carl on Twitter at Anchorman616. He writes for The Athletic. Uh, he is dedicated to writing about Southampton. So he's one of the guys that's in the press conferences and writing about the team each and every week. And if you haven't, uh, I guess if you haven't seen anything that he's written, you should check it out. There is a link in the show notes for you to do that. Uh, we've also done a previous episode with Carl. That link is also in the show notes if you are interested. And uh, if you also like things other than football, so does Carl. Uh, he does a wrestling podcast called Parts Unknown. Um, he's also featured on the Totally Football Show quite frequently. So there is lots and lots of Carl to go around if you are interested in that. But before we jump into the episode, I just want to say thank you to all of the patrons of the show. Um, because of you, this has gone on now for nearing three years. Next week will be episode 150. Uh, that's 150 straight weeks of sitting down and doing this. And I could not be happier uh, I'm more proud to be on this journey with you because you guys have helped uh, a ton. So thank you to you uh, for doing that. I really do appreciate it. And uh, thank you to all of you who listen as well. And for all the feedback, you guys have made the show great. Anyway, let's jump into the interview now. Uh, this is Carl Anchor of The Athletic, once again on Twitter at Anchorman616. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll talk to you on the other side. All right. Well, we'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Carl Anker. You can find him on Twitter at Anchorman616. Uh, he writes for The Athletic. He's on The Totally Football Show and a number of other podcasts around everywhere, it seems like. Uh, so, Carl, welcome back and thanks for joining us on your day off. Hey. Hey, how's everyone doing? <laughs> I, I hope they're well. Uh, they, they have to be doing better than the football team. Even, the, even my students have been teasing me like, hey, Southampton won't lose this week because uh, they're not playing. And it's like, you guys are great. Um, at, at at fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen years old, you guys are cutting me straight to the core. But uh, it, it is it is true, so we can't complain that much. Um, sure. But I mean, this this week, I guess there's no game. We're recording early uh, in the week, so it's it's still Thursday, the fourteenth, at, at time of recording. So uh, this will be out on Tuesday. But um, we're just gonna answer some questions from listeners and kind of go through and talk a little bit about the the season. But um, I guess now, one of the things I wanted to start with was for you. Um, You've been kind of covering the club since the summer. Uh, this has been kind of your your focus at the Athletic. And if people don't know about the Athletic, uh, they they should know that it's a subscription based service. But you guys are doing fantastic writing, and I'm having trouble keeping up with all of the things and uh, that are that are happening at the Athletic, both from you and the rest of the Premier League coverage, and then also the Houston Astros are currently embroiled in a cheating scandal, uh, and that's not Ooh. great either. Um, but I mean, just. I guess let's start with the athletic just a little bit. I should, I should ask you a little bit about that, but like uh, what would people expect to find if they showed up at the athletic or, or went to the site? What would, uh, what, what types of stories would, would be there? The, some of the best stories you'll find on the planet. So how my job works is I ring up the athletic HQ at nine o'clock every single morning. And I go, these are the things I want to do. Uh, some of them are a bit weird. Some of them are a bit off the wall. Some of them will take, two or three days for me to research rather than 20 or 30 minutes. And I am nearly never told no. I'm always told, can you prove it? Uh, and can you prove it by getting expert voice on it? Or can you prove it by getting this statistical data? Or can you prove it by just writing like the wind? <laughs> um, I think everything that is on The Athletic is backed up by something you wouldn't expect or something that is the best that we can find out there. It, we very much try our best to, to not do hyperbolic statements and to very much deliver on what we claim. So if we go out there and claim a certain player is the reincarnation of someone who played in the nineties, 
we're going to go out and find either that player in the 90s or because the statistical evidence of that. If we go out and say uh, this sports team has been playing a lot better since they changed from red Gatorade to blue Gatorade, we're going to find someone within the team to, to explain why. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the ethos of, of the athletic. Something is happening at your sports team for a reason, and the athletic goes out there repeatedly to find out that reason. Yeah. And and you, you they offer coverage of, of all the Premier League teams, some of the championship teams, and then just the Premier League in general, uh, Champions League in general. Uh, there's a lot of, of really good uh, writing going on. And, and as you said, uh, there is sometimes some stuff that's a little off the wall, and it's but it's interesting. And, and the stories are written at a, at a, in a way that um, I found myself sometimes you, you wind up on some weird newspaper website and the story is kind of, um, it's missing pieces, and, and I've never found that with The Athletic. Um, you guys have a rating system at the bottom of every article, uh, and I always click the green one on the right. Um, so, oh, thank you. Well, yeah, you guys do good work. You deserve it. So, um, Now, I, I, I think that's the happy part over for the most part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, so, so you've been around since, since the summer in terms of covering the club uh, full on for The Athletic, but... I mean, have you noticed a change that that's happened at the club since then? Has there been a change in, in mood? Because uh, I'll just say for me watching, um, it seems that there has been a bit of a shift. Uh, uh, I think the, the momentum or maybe the optimism is, is, is somewhat gone. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know if you've noticed that or if it's just something that, that I'm picking up because I'm on Twitter too much. <laughs> uh, how, how I, put this? I think going into the season, before the season started, it was the most optimistic Southampton fans had been in about two or three years. So I think Southampton fans are quite realistic. They weren't expecting, you know, let's get back in the Champions League spaces or the Europa League competing spaces. But I think for a number of fans, they were expecting somewhere between ninth and 14th. A comfortable mid-table finish, maybe a cup run. Uh, some youngsters will be blooded. But all in all, they were going to be safe. I think Southampton fans thought that. The manager thought that. I think my employers in part thought that, which is why, you know, they selected Southampton Football Club for me. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's very much not come to pass. What we've got instead is, I'm going to say chaos and bewilderment because I, I, I truly cannot get a track on what on earth is going on here. Um, in a nice way. I, like, yeah. I do have a track on what's going on, but what we expected at the start of the season and what has happened has not quite come to pass. So there, there is an article in front of the paywall of The Athletic from the start of the season, which basically is me explaining why I'm all in on the club. And then I did another piece, which uh, was a preseason prediction. And I said, the best case scenario is everything clicks. So I'm going to finish about ninth to 12th. Mm-hmm. And I said, the worst case scenario is the squad is kind of thin. They've got a really, really bad opening fixture list. And then by the time Christmas comes along, they're tired and they're looking up the Premier League table instead yes. of that. Yeah. And I think the the worst case scenario has happened, unfortunately. Yeah. And and, and some fans are, are going to get angry and say, like, look, like we we said this was coming simply because you, you know, the manager has changed, but the players haven't. And the backroom stuff is a mess. And but we'll, we'll get on to that in just a second. Um, I, I just want to ask you, like. You know, you you seem to come in with some optimism. You were you, and you, but I I think you still have it. Every time I hear your voice on the Totally Football Show or I read your writing, you don't come across as being kind of down. And I know that that this season uh, more than than I would say even the other ones that I, that I've done. And, and it seems like every season that I've done the podcast, we haven't done well. So maybe I should stop. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I mean it it's worn on me a little bit. It's been there have been times when I've been looking at it going like, I don't either want to record or I don't want to edit the episode because I'm just like, this, this is not like, this is not going well, but that doesn't seem to happen to you. But has it, has it been a, a bit of a grind on you going to press conferences and seeing Ralph kind of be, you know, maybe not as enthusiastic and, and just knowing that things around the club maybe aren't going as well as, as they could be. I'll respond. Or is it, or is with, it a job? Uh, a few, I guess. <laughs> I, I, well, I've, I have had some very, very nice Southampton fans uh, and football fans comment going, I feel really, really bad for you, Carl. This is really, you know, I feel really bad for you. You've got this. And uh, I remember particularly during the 9-0 game when it got to 4-0, a Southampton fan went, Carl, go home. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. No one has to watch this. This is just painful. And I felt, well, I felt sad because I was watching a team I'm supposed to care about now lose 9-0. But the way I've always described it is this is my job. But for a lot of other people, this is meant to be their source of joy. So we have... Uh, Q and A's on the Athletic, 
one that happens once a week for an hour. I tend to do that around about 3 p.m. Um, Greenwich Me Time on a Friday. And then we have one at full time after every Southampton game. And after the Everton game, one person just came in the comments section and just went, piss off, Carl. Oh, wow. And I went, oh, I went, oh, buddy, I'm really sorry. Because you're not saying piss off to me. You're saying piss off because I'm trying to be positive when you just want to be sad. Yeah. Uh, and then I went, I'm really sorry, buddy. And he went, yeah, I know. It just hurts so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it wasn't him. You know, he said piss off, but he didn't mean piss off. It was just basically, I'm in pain. Yeah. Which um, I, I, I think is fine. It's I, think fair. I think it's, we all are, I think, you know. And every single Friday, there is one person in the Q&A who goes, Carl, please cheer me up. And, it, you know, at the start of the season, I was going, well, you know, Musa might come back. This is positive. This is positive. This is positive. Yeah. But for the last two weeks, the most positive thing I can tell him is, it's Friday. <laughs> Hopefully that, he's not that, some that, person that's who... My, like, that's, that's how I'm cheering him up now. It's basically going, dude, it's Friday. And, and the rest we'll have to deal with later. Hopefully he's um, not somebody who has to... Uh, it starts work or, you know, his days off are, are Wednesday, Thursday. Um, yeah, right? That'd be hey, <laughs> um, in a really, really bad state right now. Yeah. Uh, losses do make certain things harder to do. So, you know, it, it, it can be a little bit difficult for me to ask a football manager a question when his team is not doing well. It can be a little bit difficult to get certain information when, when, when it's raining, for yeah. example, and it's raining a lot on the South Coast. So things like that do affect my job. But for the most part, my, my thing is basically I'm here to cover this football team. It, the thing that mostly wears down on me is the fact that, you know, I've had to go up to Manchester twice in a week and that like hurt my back because I was on the train for 10 hours. But for the most part, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, the first half against Everton was a terrible game of football, um, and that one was one where I went, "This stinks." Yeah. But for the most part, I'm all right. There was a bit on Tuesday where I was I was in London. I was in the mothership of the Athletic, and I was at my desk and I was reading uh, some stats, and I basically let out an almighty yelp, like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> uh, and everyone in the office sort of turned around and looked at me because they all thought I was in pain or I'd seen some sort of extreme gore or something awful. And I just very quiet went, oh, hi, hi, sorry. No, I've just read a really bad stat about Southampton. And then everyone laughed at me because I went, oh, you care so much. It's I, Well, it's good and bad. Um, caring, I, I've been told as, as somebody who came to the club from, uh, I'll say from the outside, from America, uh, people are like, man, this club is going to hurt you. And it's like, they haven't lied uh, and they weren't lying. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're in it. You're in it now. Um, I mean, has, I mean, we talked about the optimism at the beginning of the season. Um, Ralph on the sidelines has looked a little bit more dour, a little bit more, I don't want to say deer in the headlights because I don't think that's correct, but he's looked a little bit, almost a little bit lost or a little bit shocked or something on the sideline the last couple of matches. And, and you mentioned, um, uh, on this week's totally football show or last week's totally football show, by the time people hear this, um, that he was, you know, actively yelling at the guys to 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 go to go get them, and and the team wasn't doing it. And and I mean, has have you noticed a shift in him over over the over the course of the season? And and is his demeanor kind of as bad off camera and away from from the, I, I guess the on camera stuff as it is as it as appears to be when he's on the sideline? Uh, so after the the League Cup game, so just after the nine 0 mm-hmm. he was bad after that game so after, after the friday night kickoff he, he you know 20 minute wait for his press conference he talked for four minutes and he was very much i don't know what to do this is really painful don't really ask me any questions right now i need to go sort my life out and figure something out there and then on tuesday i traveled up to manchester and more or less observed him from the sideline and observed how he did not really go back into the dugout um, and uh I, I described it in my piece in the Athletic that Ralph Hassel looked like a man waiting for a bus that would never arrive to take him to a destination that doesn't exist. <laughs> and things have got better since then. I did notice that he got a haircut in between the Friday and the City game. And I did point it out to him in the press conference. And at the end of the press conference of the League Cup, I went, how are you doing? And he goes, he just went to me, I feel better than I was on Friday. And then again, after the, the press conference on Thursday, I went, how are you doing? And he went, I don't really relax. I don't need to relax. I'm just here to work. And then again, after the defeat against Manchester City, I said, look, this is the third time when I ask you this week. It'll be the last time I ask you for a little bit. Yeah. How are you doing? And he said, I'm all right. It's kicking on. All right. 
Well, and that, that's what that's what he said. He's been quite bullish because I've, I'm kicking off, kicking on. He wants to focus on work. He doesn't want to dwell on the 9-0. He doesn't like it when it's brought up. He did say there was a bit on Thursday before the game against Everton. He goes, why do you keep bringing this football game up? <laughs> and I think there's, there's that sort of sense in a lot of people. Well, that's the sort of general vibe in, in, in Southampton where like, we just want to put this game behind us and kick on with other stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm... Hmm... Well, I, I mean, about that view. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's fair for them to want to do it. They don't want to bring it up. They, want, they would like to move forward, but the, the, the truth is that that game is going to, to be looked at as, a, as, is that the turning point? And until we see something else that, that signals that to most of the people here, um, or most of the people that are watching the, the team, then I think that is going to get brought up over and over. And it'll probably be worse when a big team comes to town and everybody will come to town and, and, and want to ask that question because they haven't done it yet, you know? But but you you've been around enough and you can see it. But I think it has to be addressed because, like, I I think the performance uh, against City uh, the following Saturday was, you know, that was what we uh, it's kind of what we expected coming out of uh, uh, of a nine nil. But then to come back home against Everton and and just kind of roll over the way we did and just play the most uh, probably the worst half of football like you said uh, that that has ever existed in 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 human existence like in the first half like that was just so bad and then and i mean the second half was better for for about 5 minutes or 15 minutes maybe and then after that it just kind of went back to to just being terrible and it's i mean fans fans are rightly you know uh, you, you mentioned on the Totally football show again you know people using it as a the the scarves that were left out as a, as a blindfold or throwing them towards the pitch or whatever it was like the, the things are not going well in a number of places and it's quite it's quite disheartening, um, even from from a distance, uh, and it's I can only imagine what it's like to see it kind of unravel up close and personal as as you're as you're doing. Um, so I mean, we have quite a few questions uh, to to go ahead and answer, but I want to start with uh, a, a tweet uh, from Glenn Delacour, who uh, writes a, a great blog, League One Minus Ten, also appears on a number of shows uh, quite frequently. Uh, he says, "Am I correct in saying that we currently have no director of football, no head of recruitment, no assistant manager, no first team coaches, just assistant coaches and no under 23 manager and a temporary under 18s manager. Um, that, that tweet did, did quite well and people are quite concerned, but I mean, what, what did you make of that? And, uh, I mean, as somebody who follows the club and, and the, the, I would say that Southampton hasn't been, um, they haven't released a list of like, hey, we haven't filled these positions yet, but they have kind of leaked things and, and, and made announcements as people moved positions and, and left the club and everything like that. But I mean, wh- what is the state of Southampton Football Club in terms of, uh, of the back room, I guess? So that tweet is not wholly true. Um, and I have responded to it online. I'll, I'll, I'll give up my response now. Uh, it's one of those things where it is and it, isn't quite there. Uh, so, first things first. Head of recruitment and director of football can be the same job, depending on who's in the job. Director of football is a really, really nebulous term that some directors of football are in charge of or are in charge of player recruitment. Some directors of football are very much just in charge of transfers. Some play, Some directors of football have a remit in charge of the academy. Other directors of football are also in charge of uh, marketing and branding. So, yes, at the moment there is no director of football and there is no director of recruitment, but that's because Ross Wilson left, not because they're missing two members of staff. So, Ross Wilson was the last director of football. He had a remit in charge of player transfers, the academy, and I believe the women's team. Okay. And right. sometimes had a bit on the board of governance. Um, so, uh, no director of football, no head of recruitment, yes, but that's one job. No assistant manager, that is kind of incorrect so uh danny roll left in the summer depart uh ralph hustle's previous assistant manager he departed for Bayern munich to work as a video analysis and then after, and just before the brighton game richard Kitzblitzer. i'm going to get that surname right one day every time i say that name i say it to ralph and i say how am i doing in terms of my pronunciation he goes eh you're getting better you're english so <laughs> it'll take a while um so richard Kitzblitzer is the assistant manager of southampton football club that is his job um, but again, the role he does within that job title is probably not what you'd expect from a traditional assistant manager. So Richard's job is primarily as a video analysis, particularly on the opposition. So um, the, the weird thing about Southampton is they're secretly a Red Bull football club. Okay. Uh, so 
Ralph Hassel came from Red Bull Leipzig. Richard Kitzblitzer came from Red Bull Salzburg. Josh Sims just finished a loan spell at New York Red Bulls. Uh, one member of the academy, Natasha Patel, has just left Southampton to go to New York Red Bulls. There is a lot of movement between the Red Bull clubs and Southampton Football Club at the moment. Um, and Southampton play a football style similar to Red Bull Salzburg and to Red Bull Leipzig. So this high-pressing 4-2-2-2 potential formation um, and also in the coaching staff where they basically want a young coach, young players, and they also do a lot of video work. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the Red Bull clubs have academics and video analysis rather than traditional um, form of professional football players and uh, meat and two veg style coaches. I don't know if meat and two veg makes sense to an American like yourself. Um, I've been around a lot uh, well, enough, so I think I think it does. Um, okay, so I'm not going right. to attempt to explain it because uh, I, I will get it wrong. But I think I, I think I have the basic concept. <laughs> right. Okay. So there is there is there is an assistant manager, but he doesn't do. He's not an assistant manager in, in the he's a number two. He's an assistant manager with a very fixed specific role sure. <clears throat> there. And he do, I don't think he has the same responsibilities as Danny Roth. So there's that. In terms of no first team coaches, that is incorrect. There, there are first team coaches. There are assistant coaches. Um, there has been a shakeup. So the former goalkeeping manager, goalkeeping coach Dave Watson, is now a first team coach who is in charge of set pieces as well as some other things. And there are three or four coaches in charge of three or four things. So there are first team coaches. Don't worry about that. In terms of no assistant on the 23 manager, um, the club just announced Radhi Jahidi is leaving on Friday. So he's going on a 12 months of convent to Hartford United in the second tier of the United States game. So while he has left, there is also an interim manager on the 23 level. So I wouldn't say there is no on the 23 manager. They just have an interim while they find a new one or someone to, to hold the fort where if Jahidi does want to re- return from his economy, he will do. Uh, and, I, and the temporary under-18 manager, I think that is correct. So parts of that are correct, parts of it aren't quite correct, and parts of it very much the person is there, but their job role is different. Sure. Which, again, like that large explanation speaks to how utterly bizarre Southampton is. Uh, but I'd also like to say things like Manchester United don't have the director of football mm-hmm. or head of right now. So... But then again, do you think Manchester United are a good football team? So that's up to you. Uh, <laughs> no comment. Because um, yeah. I, I like yeah. you. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I just think the, the fact that, that fans are looking kind of that deep into it, and it's, it's that interesting to a lot of us. And, and we are, I think, searching for answers, searching for reasons why the team is not doing well. And because it, we, there, I think there needs to be some sort of turnover. There needs to be... Uh, something to inject some life into this team. And it's, um, I think I'm safe in, in saying, uh, speaking for most people, I think that changing the manager is not, I think most people realize changing Ralph out would be um, counterproductive. There, there isn't, uh, we've, we've changed managers enough uh, over the past couple of seasons to, to, know, to know that doing it gives you a temporary kind of increase in, in terms of uh, points, maybe. Uh, and then after that, like something else has to change. And whether that's players or whatever it is, uh, I, I I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that all works, but um, I I'm looking more forward to the the long term health of the club than um, you know we need to win next week. Even though winning next week is uh, something that we would all like, but uh, we'll have to have to kind of see. Yeah, I, I I very much believe. Hmm. No. Let me let me let me caveat everything I'm about to say. So um, on Thursday before the Everton game, I very much thought there's no way Ralph Hassel was leaving. I said, this is a man who has a lot of personal pride. The club board apparently made it very, very clear after the 9-0 that Ralph Hustle would not be leaving and that if anyone is leaving, it will be playing stuff. Uh, and on Thursday, he was really bullish and really, really confident. And I was very much of the opinion that if Ralph Hustle stops being Southampton manager, that's because the club officials or people higher up the club failed on a critical premise and then Ralph Hassel would choose to resign. So it, it's quite important to remember Hassel, Ralph left his role in charge of Red Bull Leipzig after his second season where he went, no, you clearly just want Nangelsmann to come in. Stop wasting my time. I'm going to go. So that's a tiny asterisk you should, you should maybe keep in the back of your mind as things progress. Ralph is not a manager who is beyond resigning. 
Yeah. And he's not someone. He's not someone that, that is gonna be like, no, I want to be fired. I'll like wait to fire me so I can pay my severance money. He's the type of person go, no, no, bye. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's important. And I said that on Thursday, and I was very much, yeah, like if he got, if he does go, he's, he's gonna go because they let him down, not because they're gonna sack him. Sure. And then after Saturday, after the go, go, go. That, 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 that image of Ralph pushing his team up and saying, go push higher up the field and the team not pushing up, it will, uh, it will, I don't think it was televised and I don't think it made any highlight packages, but I think it's the, like the quiet, wait a minute, yeah, that will, uh, that will go on for the rest of the season. So uh, before, before, on Thursday, I went, there is absolutely no way Ralph Hustle was leaving and now I'm, I'm, there is a seed in my brain and I'm not going to water it. But that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess it wouldn't be the first time that we've had a manager come to us and say, like, the club doesn't line up with what I want and what I want to do. And it's not running the way that maybe things were promised or that we talked about. And therefore, I'm going to I'm going to leave. And we saw Kuman leave. Um, we've had to get rid of uh, every manager since then. We haven't lost one to, because people have, have actively recruited them away from us, which says something. Um, and I still think, and maybe it's just cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a Ralph fan that, uh, people will look, if, if he goes, it won't take him long to get another job. I don't think. And I think that says something about, about where, uh, we are at and he's got to make the best of, uh, uh, of what he has. But I, I would say that some of his decision-making over the past couple of matches in terms of, of lineups and, and choices and tactics has been, has been questionable. But then again, I don't know what's going on in training and things like that. Um, but obviously, like form this season has not been great. Uh, only two wins, none of them at home. Um, a terrible goal difference uh, overall and at home, especially uh, made, made worse by that nine nil defeat uh, to to Leicester City. Um, but so, I mean, basically, just just the overall form of the team has been has been awful, uh, both at home and away. But especially, I, I think the home record. But uh, if you kind of go down the list and look at at the you know the points earned. Uh, we're we're in the exact same position we were through twelve matches last year. Uh, one more win, but uh, fewer draws, a worse goal difference. Um, we have played. Uh, I think our strength of schedule, uh, if we want to go full American college football, uh, oh, yeah. has been. I I shared that this morning. Uh, yeah. It is it, by a number of conceivable metrics, it is the worst, the hardest start to the season yeah. out of all the twenty teams in the Premier League. And um, so the opening twelve games, so twelve games have been played in the Premier League now. Eight of the teams that Southampton played in the opening 12 finished in the top half last season. The next game Southampton play is against Arsenal, which is, you know, another one in the top half. It is going to get easier now, but this was the worry at the start of the season where sort of, the, you know, all the goodwill would just get absolutely crushed by a brutal fixture list. Yeah, um, I, I would say the way I calculated it for the thing that I put out uh, Thursday morning was... I looked at where all the teams were in week 12 and just kind of averaged it out. And it works out to like 7.4 uh, versus, you know, when Hassan Hoodle came in his first 12 matches, um, mm-hmm. they had averaged out to like 10.8 or 10.5, which is like, you know, like that's a, that's a big difference. And when you're talking, uh, you know, there's only 20 places in the table and the average is probably going to be about 10. So like you're, you're, you're trending towards, towards super difficult. And I guess my worry is with all of the, the effort that is required, uh, in Ralph Hassenhüttl's team for all of what he wants the guys to do, which is push up, press high, and that's way harder to do than just to sit back and and kind of defend. Um, and then you lose every week, and that and then it just goes, "Why am I doing this?" And I could have a much easier time just defending somewhere else or or playing in a team that's not going to require me to do all this running, and we might actually win something. So I think like it it kind of could go very poorly for for the guys and for Ralph, and it could be harder to motivate the guys as we as we go, even as we go towards kind of. I don't want to say easier fixtures, but easier fixtures. Oh, yeah. Everton were begging to be pressed. My most recent piece for The Athletic is, is measuring the press. Uh, and this, this, this uh, metric is called PPDA, Passes Per Defensive Action. Um, and when Ralph Hassel was at Red Bull Leipzig in his very first season, when they finished second, um, around about November time, Leipzig's PPDA was about 8 to 10. So the opposition got between 8 to 10 passes before someone at Leipzig tackled someone. Um, and then, that, for the, you know, for the majority of the stars of this season, Southampton were around by eight to ten. Yes, you can. There are some changes. So the PPDA jumped up a little bit when Southampton were playing against Liverpool or Manchester City, which you know, two teams that 
even if you try and press them really, really hard, Bernardo Silva or Juan Aldum are just going to be able to pass through because they're some of the best players in the world. Um, so that it will spike up a little bit there. But and there was a little bit in their two victories against Brighton and Sheffield United where Southampton's PPPA rose above ten, rose above ten because Southampton like, oh, we're winning. Let's drop back a little bit. Yeah. But for the most part, Southampton didn't want to get more than ten passes before James Ward-Prowse or Romeo or Huberg or Gineppo or Nathan Redmond put a boot in. That's how Hassel wants his team to play, especially when you only play one game a week. So the PPDA for Leipzig jumped up a little bit when they had Champions League football. But for the most part, Hassel's very much don't let them get more than ten passes together. And then after Spurs, something happened, and now the PPDA has gone up. And it's steadily increasing, and I don't know why. And I, it might be simply they lost against Spurs after running a lot. So against Spurs, he managed to get six passes together before a Southampton player got in there. And they lost 2-1. And they didn't really have any chances in the second half, despite the fact Spurs had only 10 men. Um, and it might, be, it might be, you know, there was no massive injury. There's no real, outside Ryan Bertrand's recent suspension, there's no real, you know, key personnel missing. If, if Southampton are pressing less, that's because someone's making the decision to press less. And I that's because Hassel has gone, hang on, maybe we should drop back a little bit. Or if it's because the players have gone, I can't do this no more. Yeah. I can't figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think we, we all kind of noticed, and, and Hassel has come out and kind of said it, I think, is that we can do one of two things. Like we can, we can either defend and not create any chances and you know, hopefully draw a game or potentially lose a game because we're still probably going to concede. Or we can we can go forward and create a few more chances, potentially not finish them and still lose because we're our defense is wide open. You know? And and I don't I don't know how to solve that. I don't I don't know. I, I the easy thing to say is well, just change the players out. You know, like that's but players are on long term contracts, players earn a lot of money. Players uh, if they don't perform here can't get picked up or won't get picked up by other teams around the around uh, the Premier League or other top teams because, uh, and that's really the only people who can afford their wages and things like that. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of stuck here um, in this situation where we are not really good enough at either thing. We're not going to outscore teams. Uh, we're also not going to keep clean sheets and, and, you know, try to nick one goal and be able to hold that out. So we're, we're kind of in a, a kind of a terrible kind of spot, but um, I don't know. Like I, are you good with going on to answer some questions now, or, or do we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, you just what you just said, did there is basically what Mark was. Ralph Hustle wants Southampton to press high up the field. Southampton are good, at, well, they're decent at pressing high up the field. They, they, they're, they're like sixth in the table for doing it. Every single big spreadsheet piece of data that I've looked at makes me believe Southampton, if they maintain their pressing levels, should be somewhere in, if not in the top half, but not far off the top half. Right? This makes very little sense. Southampton are quite good at pressing. Ralph Hassel wants them to press. For some reason, they are not pressing as much. Why? Yeah. And 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 the point is, like you said, like what Ralph Hassel said, he wants his team to press out of the field because also, and this is and this is the maybe the, the weird one. Has Ralph Hassel told his players we press high up the field not because I want you to do it, but because it's the best way to protect yourself. Because that can be quite a hard thing to translate. Because by most, you know, most coaching things, if you go through the academies or you play any sport for a long time, you basically realize if you're if you're like losing or if you're in the middle of a losing run, what you do is you take it back to basics. You play a fixed shape. You stop playing aggressive styles of football, and it can be very very hard to to explain to a player stuff like no 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 you have to be even more aggressive because unfortunately you don't have the back four to keep your shape and sit deep. You don't have the counter-attacking ability to keep your shape and, and try and spring it. The only way Southampton are going to get out of this relegation zone is by playing incredibly ambitious football, which it can be incredibly hard to convince playing staff to be even more ambitious when things are going bad. Any manager that can do that, they tend to be in the Champions League spaces. This is why Ralph Hassel was in the Champions League spaces, because this, this apparently was the thing he's very, very good at. Arresting a slide is something very, very hard to do outside of football manager or outside of FIFA. Yeah. And this is this will be Ralph's great challenge. Yeah, I hope he's up for it because because we need it. Um, anyway, uh, we have several questions. We asked for questions from people on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, also from the Discord uh, and, and Patreon channels. Um, 
We'll start with Christian Candler, who's at Candler Nero. And I just, uh, Christian's a friend of mine, so I just want to say congratulations. He just got hired uh, at MIT. So um, enjoy that. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Uh, science, science guy. Uh, things I don't understand, but good. Um, so he's, he'll be moving from Nashville to, to MIT soon. Um, but he says, as we get closer to January, what position should we focus on the most in getting a new player? I mean, we all know the kind of spending model that Southampton have. We got to have players out to have players in. Uh, we have guys out on loan that, you know, I don't know if they'll come back or whatever, but, um, is there a, is there a, a place that we're obviously missing a key figure that we could theoretically get, I guess, in the January window? I'm going to be really honest with you. I I know a lot of fans are looking at January transfer window, and I know a lot of people are, are looking at January and saying they still don't get players in. I don't have time to look at transfers right now. I'm too busy <laughs> trying to figure out. I, I'm I'm really sorry. I get asked this like nearly every week. What about players coming in? What about players coming in? Like, mate, I'm trying to make sense of what's currently going on. I can't look up over the parapet and also see who's playing really well in this in League Two in in France or who's really good in the bottom half of La Liga right now. I'm really sorry. I watch like one game a week. I watch two games a week. One of them is a Southampton game. And the other one it tends to be a Champions League game. Other yeah. than that, I'm not looking at Scout in the way that fans would like. Ralph Hassel said he's not thinking about transfer stuff until January. He goes, nope, nope. That's because that's for Christmas. Yeah. He, he was told after Cedric. Um, what I did say at the start of the season was I said Southampton, well, not at the start of the season, I said... <sighs> I think it was around like the last international break. I basically said Southampton need a midfielder who can play a one-two and get ahead of the ball and join the attack and, and stitch the midfield and the, the attack because that was a, there was a real problem there. There was much of a muchness between Koyberg, Romeo, and James Ward-Prowse. Yeah. And I said, if Everton continue to not play Tom Davis, Southampton should possibly try and get a loan deal there. Lo and behold, Tom Davis scores at the back post against Southampton. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's me jinxing stuff. Southampton need, from what I understand, the club board understand there are problems at centre-back, at full-back, and in central midfield. So those are the areas they'll be looking to reinforce in January, if not in the weeks coming forward. Um, and I very much agree. They very much need either either play Kevin Danzo or, or, or buy another centre-back on top of that. Um, they are very light in the full-back positions especially now Cedric has announced his intention to leave at the end of the season. So no matter what happens, Southampton will need one more right back and one more, at least one more left back going into the next season. They need a central midfielder to, to, to play those one-twos and to play as a, as a real true box-to-box yeah. because Romeo is a six. Koyberg is not the creative outlet that many hoped he would be. If you play football manager from a certain vintage, Koyberg turned out to be like one of the best things since sliced bread. And that unfortunately hasn't quite come to pass in real life. Yeah. He's only 24. See, so you know, central midfielder there. I think they're okay in the wide areas. I think Redmond, Redmond and Musa Janepo are very good on the left and right in the wide areas, as is Sofiane Buffal. Um, so I think that's covered. And up top, Danny Ings is there. Shay Adams is there. Indulu um, from the other 23s, if he can, if he's got a hamstring injury, but I think he's got potential. I like him a lot. He's 20 years old of age. He should, be the third striker going forward. So that is stocked. So the front four areas should be well stocked. It's everything else that needs at least one or two more areas of personnel. Who you bring in, I do not know. Because we've spoken before, uh, and and the former director of football, Russ Wilson, said this, Southampton are really kind of working on a 15 million spending cap. So I don't know. I have no idea who you convinced to come into Southampton and go, we're in the middle of a relegation battle there's a very good chance you'll be spending next season in the championship that will say yes and that you can get in front of 15 million and that could dramatically change Southampton's fortunes. Yeah. That's hard. That's really hard to do. Yeah. yeah. We, we've backed ourselves into quite a position in terms of, of needing to get players in and, and the, that can actually change the team that are better than the players we have who are going to be com- willing to come in and, and run as much as we're going to need and require. And also, like you said, uh, potentially, probably, uh, that sucks to say out loud. Um, spend next year in the championship. Like that's that's not what most people are signing up for, you know. Um, and and I think if you look around the the midfield, uh, you know, I think you spoke last time of of you know I think uh, Hassanul had Nabi Keita right uh, at, mm-hmm. at Leipzig, and uh, you you look and we don't have that that player. That player doesn't exist at Southampton. And so if you if you get a player like that, and um, I'm going to say this, like is Mario Lamina. 
is he that player? Like, can he be that guy or is that relationship I think is severed and, and that bridge is, that bridge is, is burned and, and never coming back. They're not even trying to rebuild it. I don't think, but um, if he comes back in January, is that, is that, is that an option or, or uh, has that been mentioned at all? No, there's been no mention of Lamina. I don't think he's going to come back, okay. nor is there anything. Again, when I, when I looked, made that article about navigator and, and did everything, I, I, I uh, like there was nothing immediate about Lamina's play that, that struck him as, as a genius yeah. or, or struck him as the B1 end. He was an okay two-way threat. He didn't play enough games for Southampton for me to go, wow, yeah. incredible. Uh, nor did he seem to want to be that guy for Southampton. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be all what could have been about him. Okay, fair enough. Um... All right, let's let's go through some of these other ones. Uh, Chicago Saints FC, and it's at Chai underscore Saints fan. Uh, it says, any reason for lack of youth players in this, this season from Ralph last year? Ralph gave many U23 players a, a chance uh, or some playing time so far. I think Boken's got one minute in a cup game. And he thinks that's it. Um, I mean... Is there, I mean, the, the youth team players this season, they haven't come through as much. Uh, have, have you been able to ask Ralph about that or talk about that or notice that yourself? No, I asked him about Jay Vokens at the, at the, um, during Ryan Bertrand's absentia. I basically said, a lot of fans are asking about Jay Vokens, where is he? And he said, you know, he goes, Jay Vokens is really, really good. He came to, you know, gave me a part of history of Jake said he watches Jake a lot, which apparently he does. As he, apparently, out of all the under-23 players, Vokins is the one that Ralph watches the most, um, is, is my understanding. Uh, and then he also said, you, it, oh, Ralph made a statement along the lines of, you can see he used to be a winger because sometimes his positioning for 1v1 is not what I'd like it to be. And in wide positions, that is very, very, very important. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that's why Jake Vokins possibly hasn't got the minutes that some would expect and also because you know in a really brutal term Southampton in the middle of a relegation battle why do you want to throw some youngsters in there yeah it, it, it is very important to say it, you know this isn't football this, this isn't FIFA this isn't football manager this isn't this is real life it can be it is not recommended to throw in a bunch of 18 19 20 year olds when your team is losing that has incredible knock-on psychological effects onto a team it is far easier to integrate players into a, a team that has a, a very clear, coherent system and a very clear method of play. So the, player, so the young player can, can, can concentrate on the two or three things that got them to the party. It is very, very hard to, to go to Jake. You know, I wouldn't want a 19-year-old, 5'9", Jake Vokins to go, all right, mate, so Bertrand's suspended. We've just lost 9-0. You've got Manchester City. Have fun. Yeah. Cheers, man. Enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. You would you wouldn't want to do that, right? Yeah. No. So I think that's why there's been some some reluctance to play some of the young players right now. I think it's much better to to bring guys in in a, in a situation where they can succeed and be be successful because that's going to breed you know um, that's that's going to breed more confidence down the road. If you bring him in, and just let him get crushed and say like, oh, you're obviously and the fans will turn and say, you know, he's not good enough. Why are we doing this? The academy's a mess. We have to, you know. And then it just kind of is this this self perpetuating kind of thing that doesn't that doesn't do anybody any good I don't think so um, I, I won't I won't lie I've been a little bit frustrated that we've chosen to play uh, certain people at at left back versus uh, you know an actual left back and I've I, I think I think all of us have made that clear but uh, I don't necessarily want to see Jake Vokin's confidence get crushed like that's not what I want you know. Uh, and I think it's probably harder for a, a young defender to come into a team that's struggling than it is for a young attacker where you just go, hey, man, go, go run at people and see what happens, you know, uh, yes. and, and hopefully you don't blow your hammy out on, on the way. Um, yeah. And also, you know, some of these players are, are, do get injured. Jake Vokins picked up a, a little bit of an ankle knock around about the time people were going, what about Jake Vokins? And Dan, and Dan Duru, people are going, where is he right now? I'm like, he's, he's out. He's, got, he's been injured with a six-week hamstring injury. Well, not... These under 23 players aren't sort of like smash glass go off. They're, they're training as well. They're playing under 23 games just as much. Yeah. The conditioning, especially from under 23 game to a Premier League game, it is not. It takes time, right? I, <laughs> while we'd like to pretend every every young stud can immediately make the jump from under 23 football to, to Premier League football, there is a huge gulf in stamina and running and just 
situational awareness and concentration. Just because you can last you know, 90 minutes in, in our 23 game doesn't mean you can last 90 minutes in the Premier League game. Yeah. The 5-5 draw between Liverpool and Arsenal is evidence of that. As you know, both teams played some of their youngsters and it got to the 60th minute and both those players were like, <gasps> yeah. let's just play FIFA and yeah. just whack it. And that's why that game ended 5-5 because eventually the midfielders and the central defence went, screw it. Defending <laughs> some nerves. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jack, who is at Gaushing out, um, he says strongest back line in your opinion. So if you could pick the, uh, if you could pick the back line for a team, for the, for the saints, for the, for a, for a match, um, who would it involve and in what formation would you go with across the, the back line? Uh, so this is a real funny thing. This is one of the interesting things about the fan base recently. Um, when Southampton were not, when Southampton started the season, they were playing a back three or a back five. And I was very much, they should play a back four. Ralph is trying to get to this four, two, two, two. Then they won against Brighton playing it. And it looked as if, you know, when Bertrand comes back and when Redmond comes back and when Musa Geneva comes back, they'll play four at the back for a bit. That kind of went undone after the 3-1 defeat against Bournemouth. And then we went back to a five at the back or a three at the back. And that seemed to be going okay. The, the one the one one draw against Wolves led me to believe that the, the formation going forward would be a three or a five at the back of these wingbacks, especially because of Jan Valery's... Jan Valery at the moment looks better as a wingback than he does as a right back. So three or five at the back seems to just suit everyone involved. And also... Based on Southampton's defence, it's just a lot easier to have one extra centre-back as a security blanket. So there was that. And now I'm seeing... So, so we started off the season with three at the back and five at the back, and Southampton fans went, no, play a four at the back. Then they lost against Bournemouth, and then Southampton fans went, no, we need five at the back. And now we've gone full circle again. So after the defeat against Leicester and the defeat against Everton, we're seeing fans go, no, we need four at the back. I'm going to be really, really mean here. It doesn't matter if you play three at the back or four at the back if one of those people is not a Premier League standard defender. And unfortunately, there is one person in that current setup that I do not believe is good enough or fit for purpose for Southampton if they wish to stay in the Premier League. So what I prefer to see is I'd like to see a proper, re, a proper either explanation as to why Kevin Danzo isn't starting or, 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 or a bedding in of Kevin Danzo in that group. I think swapping Gunn for McCarthy has come at the right time because Gunn's confidence has looked not the best recently. Um, so I think McCarthy as the goalkeeper, Ryan Bertram, Ryan Bertram's return from suspension now, the suspension will be served. So Ryan Bertram will be the left-back going forward for the rest of the season, I, I imagine. Um, one of the centre-backs will be Jan Benerick. Benerick has started every single Premier League game Hustle's been in, in charge of. So... If you want to go with a five, you put in Yoshida and Danzo. And if you don't, if you want to play a four, then just play one of Yoshida or Danzo on the right. On the right, uh, if you want to play a wing back, I'd say use Jan Valery. And if you want to play a right back at the moment, use Jan Valery because Cedric hasn't particularly done anything to you know, since that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the moment for a lot of fans are going to remember from Cedric is, you know, midweek saying, you know, I'm out. See you guys later, and then deciding to try to go outside of the boot cross um, instead of using his left foot and having it go woefully wrong, and then not really doing anything the rest of the match uh, against Everton, which is still in my mind as one of those uh, as somebody who plays left back. Um, that is that is not great, sir. Um, I am a I am not even a five aside worthy like defender, and I can cross with both feet uh, at least a little bit. You know, um, you should be able to as well. Um, not you specifically. That, that's Cedric who will uh, punch me in the face if he sees me. Um, let's see. We have more questions, and none of them are none of them are brightening my day. This comes from Fred Lazaro, 2011, on Instagram. It says, "Are there any behind-the-scenes signs that the board is working to save the season? Uh, and has the locker room turned on Ralph the way it appeared to turn on Claude Puel? Uh, you weren't uh, necessarily around for that, but uh, is there any sign from the players that the, there is some disconnect between uh, the manager and the players and and I guess has, I mean, obviously you mentioned the board's kind of aware of what's happening and they're, they're working to obviously try to try to improve the system. But I mean, is there anything that's, is there any concrete ideas coming down from them or is it, is it kind of just up in the air at this point? I don't know. I've, I've, uh, there is, there is a lot of rumor and conjecture that is going on in the absence of official club statement. I 
am a journalist that doesn't mind being second to a news story, as long as I know what I'm saying is correct. Yeah. So I don't want to comment too much on rumor or conjecture. I'll say that I've had meetings with certain individuals affiliated with the club um, and certain conversations with those affiliated to the club. As far as I know and as far as what's been printed, the club very much wants to get a new director of football in by January. So for the start of the January transfer window, I personally, my gut is telling me that is unlikely because people have no experience to serve out uh, and the, of the available directors of football out there that you could just hire tomorrow, I don't think they're of the sound to keep Southampton in the Premier League. But, and I think Southampton, no matter what, they, you know, I think Southampton would much rather measure twice and cut once than just get someone in to get someone in. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. I, I think, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that, that's, a, that's pretty much it. As I, say, I think getting the right person for the job is better than just getting the job filled. And I think that's, you know, we, we've seen what happens with panic buys or panic decisions in the past. Um, Guido Carrillo, uh, welcome to the club. Uh, and, and so, <laughs> like, is a really, really interesting one because he, Ross Wilson openly admits that, yeah, they dropped the ball there. Um, in this really weird way where he didn't name Carrillo, but he said there was one incident, there was one instance where we short circuited our recruitment process and over supported the manager. Uh, he said there was one instance where the manager really wanted to play, previously worked with, and we short circuited so our own process and we made a bad decision. Now, he didn't say Carrillo, but he said Carrillo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and from what I understand from other people like around the club, they went, yeah, anyone in that January transfer window could tell you that what they really, really need was pace. They really needed a pacey striker. But, oops. Yeah. And they ended up a career who, who did, for the best part, nothing. Yeah. Which is really, which is really unfortunate. And that's sort of, as far as I know, Carrillo is their most expensive signing yet. He's yeah. cost 19 million. Um, I think maybe someone at the club currently playing costs a bit more, but it was a, currently like an undisclosed fee or based on bonus and add-ons yeah. but as far as we know because it's the most expensive signing and your most expensive signing you openly admit you shouldn't have bought him but you bought him because the manager who you've now removed really really wanted him for reasons that we all know didn't fit your side yeah you don't want to do that again and I think waiting for a director of football is, is, going, to, is going to fix that and I think from what I understand Ralph Hassel recently in his last press conference of the Thursday before Everton, he said, anyone can look at a team. You don't need a director of football to know we need new signings. So let's not talk about that. Right? It doesn't matter who's the director of football come if we don't have a director of football on, on, in January because we still have the notes and the shortlist that we had from the summer that we didn't quite finish. Yeah. And I think that's probably going to be the, 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 the methodology going into January. So... I don't think it's going to be directed in January. I do think what they are going to be using is Russ Wilson slash Ralph Hassel's notes from August. Yeah, just just turn the notebook back to page one and start there. Yeah. Um. All right. Well. Uh. I mean, keep the questions coming. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, Al Capone on uh, Al Capone one five six on Instagram, who uh, was kind enough to message me and educate my my old ass on uh, how that is mentioned. How does this said? And I looked at it, going like, I should have known that. Um, but anyway, he says, uh, do you think the recent reform uh, is a rebellion against the god-awful tracksuits? But seriously, uh, what do you think is happening behind the scenes? So I think we kind of talked about that um, already. Um, they're, the they're tracksuits, like, because the tracksuits are, woof, yeah, in a nice way. This is, I don't know if you want to you cut this, but you can see it, right? Like, Ralph Russell is wearing a gray tracksuit bottom, and yeah, you can see it. Yep, yep. They, they, yep. They, they're a little flat across the front. <laughs> they yep. could, Yep, yep, and that's what I'll say about that. <laughs> um, I don't want to give him any trouble. That's I'll say that too. Yeah, uh, I not to bring that up in conversation. So. <laughs> um, we have a quite a rant here from one of the patrons, uh, from Kevin McGee, um, basically going on about about Danzo and Target, uh, and he says just kind of. I don't know if there's a question in there. Uh, he says, what, what WTF is the club thinking at this point? And I don't know. I think he feels better after that. And we'll just leave that there uh, and say thank you to Kevin. Um, but I guess uh, we have one more here from Facebook. It says, Niall, uh, I'm going to mess this up. M-I-N-O-G-U-E. Uh, it says, what do you make of people around the club leaving and the performance on the pitch? 
um, he says, why do we see the problems and they don't seem to be addressed? And I guess this goes back to a question we had before. It might've been when you were on before, like are people leaving just like, because people leave jobs and they, they want new opportunities and they, or is it people abandoning ship? Like, are they leaving because we are doing so poorly or are they being forced out because we're doing so poorly and it's their fault? Or have you been able to like kind of make sense of any of that? No, no, I can't. And I, I, I don't think this stuff will come to light later on in the season, depending on the league position. At the moment, it looks as if Ross Wilson left as director of football because once Rangers, I think in 2014, Rangers made an approach and it looked as if he was going to go and there was a, a small discussion about the transfer fund. And then it's only, and they've, Rangers have come back to him now and said, we have the money. Would you like to come? And Ross has more or less gone, yeah, this is kind of my dream job. I yeah. want to go back to Scotland. So there's that. In regards to the under 23 position, I don't know there. And I wouldn't want to speculate or whatnot. Um, so there's that. Danny Roll leaving, you know, if, if you, you, do you want to be the assistant manager at Southampton or do you want to work at Bayern Munich? Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't, it could be as simple as that. Um, there are some rumors and conjecture there. I can't confirm or deny those at the moment either. And there's that. You can listen to some of the comments from players that have left Southampton. And Dushan um, Tadic's comment was quite interesting. He said basically like, yeah, I left because they just kick you. I'm so sick of ice and, and being covered up in ice. And now I'm in, in Dutch football. I don't get beaten up anymore. Yeah. Which is, that's not... I don't think that's something about Southampton. I just think it's a lot about English football. And there's been comments from other members of staff, which is basically in our in, in the article we, we repent a couple of weeks ago about how there's a, a vacuum of footballing knowledge. There has been some comments about how either by accident or design, two or three members of staff have left, and you do have this question of where who who's the person you talk to? And I don't know. I don't know if that's leading to to people. If there's a concerted effort of them going, let's flee Southampton now, or if it is just accidentally people going when people are going. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I just have one more for you, and it's it's it might I think it's going to be pretty simple, but it might not be. But um, I, having worked now covering the team for uh, you know several months through the season through twelve game weeks, I should we should say, um, what has been your favorite piece that you've been able to do or favorite interview that you've been able to conduct around the club? Oh. Uh, so unfortunately, I've not been able to interview consistent first teamers in Southampton yet. Um, so my, my interviews with players have been with, with ex-pros, so James Beat and Joe Tesson. Joe Tesson was a really fun interview because we, we didn't really even speak about Southampton. It was basically, wait, you used to be a cop? And you used to be... <laughs> yeah, yeah he, 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 he trained part-time as a police officer while he was playing at the top of the Norwegian League. He also trained to be in the Norwegian Air Force. And that was, that was a really interesting conversation there. Um, I enjoyed that. I very much enjoyed the South Coast derby. Yeah, like that, I'll never forget that game as long as I live. Yeah. The noise was thunderous, thunderous in a way that, well, blimey, yeah, yeah, maybe I'm a little soft coddled middle class football fan that doesn't like experience real football because <laughs> that's what real football. Yeah, more of that. Yeah. Give me some more of that. Um, so the pieces I wrote around like that were were, were quite interesting and uh, edifying for me. I also quite enjoy doing a tactics deep dive. Um, so anytime I get to put some like arrows on a screenshot of Premier League football, I feel quite happy as yeah. well. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I, I'll say that I, I think you had uh, Obafemi and Kane Ramsey. I enjoyed that interview um, in that piece. Uh, and I think that was early in your time, but it, it was, uh, it's one of those ones where you get to, to see a little bit because you know, you, you see the guys on Instagram, you see them play the game and, and that's all you see. Like you see the training pictures and stuff like that, but it was nice uh, to be able to, uh, for, for, I don't know, to, to see a little bit more of them and, and get to know them a little bit better. And so um, I appreciated that. So, um, but yeah, a lot, you, uh, I, I would say that uh, I won't, I don't like to, I'm a, a historian by training, so we never say all, but like most of your work <laughs> is very, very good. Um, and that's as close, that's as close to saying all of it as I can, because I think it, it, it's basically all pretty, pretty damn good. Uh, but it just, it, I almost can't say it because it, there's like a reaction in me because I'll yell at my students every time they do it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, Thank you for for all of your work on both at the athletic and, and everywhere else that you've been you've been around and thanks for coming on the show and I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. All right, you enjoy yourself as well.
that does it for this episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Carl Anker. You can find him on Twitter at Anchorman616. Thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, if you want to see more of Carl's writing, you can do that over at The Athletic. There's a free trial if you're interested. There's also a link to sign up if you're interested. It's an annual or monthly subscription based on whatever you think, uh, but it's up to you. So uh, uh, check out the story that's in front of the paywall. Maybe try the free trial. See if it works for you. See if you like it. If you don't, you don't have to sign up. The show would be nearly impossible to do each and every week without the partners of the show. Uh, the logo for the show is done by Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Uh, he has been a huge help uh, over and over again. I cannot thank him enough. Uh, Jay and the rest of the guys over at the Southampton page as well. Uh, if you don't follow the Southampton page on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, you should. Uh, they will keep you up to date with everything going on at the club. And for all your Southampton news and needs, be sure to check out the Southampton page. Uh, I do have one special announcement. Today is Thank a Patron Day if you're listening on Tuesday. So thank you to the patrons of the show. So that's A Saint in London, A.J. Reardon, Dave Lee, Duffy Alverson, Giorgio Spacania, Justin Woodward, Kevin McGee, Luke Millard, Mike Banks, Ordinary Mike, Rob Clements, Shaw, Stephen Brandt, Steve Peake, and Tom Murray. Uh, thank you to you for all of your support. Without you guys, uh, the show may have folded by now, but we're up and running strong, and I hope that uh, you guys are enjoying it and I cannot thank you enough uh, for what you have done for me in making this show possible so thank you so much uh, I hope to be around and we'll keep doing this uh, all, all all of that good stuff hopefully Saints turn this around so uh, you know it's, it's happier times but anyway if you haven't done so already you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio or wherever you get your podcasts if you're not interested in becoming a patron but you want to help Leave a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Uh, it makes it look like, you know, we know what we're doing. That's nice. The music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games and the end of show credits that's probably over by now is Aim is True by Pontington Bear. Uh, we will be back next week with episode 150 and uh, I very much look forward to discussing Arsenal and hopefully, uh, you know, we manage to pull out a win. So uh, anyway, until next time, thanks for listening and remember that together, we march on. Um, but I guess what the hell was I going to ask you there? <laughs> you were just reading off the stats and got quite sad, didn't you? <laughs>